Today's readings are Revelation 7, 9 through 10, Revelation 21, 3 through 4, and Revelation 21, 22 through 24. From Revelation 7. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And from Revelation 21, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And also from Revelation 21. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. King's students, first through fifth graders, Sorry, Rick. Not Rick's fault, my fault. <laughs> I want to start us off with some family news today. Um, some of you might have heard that on Friday afternoon, Al Wagner passed away. And uh, so he has gone home to be with his king. Uh, but it still hurts. And as a church family, we want to grieve alongside specifically Dorothy, Rhonda, and Van. And so <clears throat> I wonder if you'd just join with me right now in praying for their family. You know, Father, I know today actually we'll be looking at a passage that talks about the fact that you will eliminate death one day. And so, God, we long for that day. Um, we ask that you would come quickly so that we don't have to keep doing this sort of thing. But we also praise you that um, the grave is not the end of the story, but that Jesus has triumphed. And so we thank you even that... Al is with you right now. He's praising you in a worship service, much more wonderful than even what we're experiencing today. Um, but we pray that, that we as your family would do a good job of grieving well with Dorothy, with Rhonda, and Van. Um, yeah, help us to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus with them right now. And let's pray your comfort, your peace, and your blessing would be on that family. Praise in Jesus' name. Well, on 
a very different note, uh, I want to say thank you to this church family because as some of you know this past week was Pastor Appreciation Week. And so, so many of you just took tangible opportunities to love on the pastoral staff here at Grace. And so I just squeaked in a few weeks ago to being a pastor, so it's like perfect timing. Um, I just want to say thank you guys so much for going out of your way to make us feel loved. We're just, we're so honored just to be a part of this family, let alone to get to pastor it. Um, So we love you guys so much. Thank you for loving us. Well, if you read the little bio about me that was actually, it was published on Facebook and Instagram for Pastor Appreciation Week, and one of the questions was, uh, what do you love? And so if you read it, what you would have seen is one of my great passions in life is Disneyland. Any Disneyland fans out there? Don't be ashamed. It's not just for kids. It's not just for kids. Repeat that to yourself. It's for adults. Well, I love Disneyland. It is, it is my favorite place on earth, um, after Grace Long Beach, of course. It's nowhere I would rather be. I love it. And I remember there was this one time in my life, I think it was maybe like the summer after my sophomore year in college, that I went home for the summer. Home for the summer. And that's about seven hours north of here. So I was seven hours removed from the Magic Kingdom. It was a, it was a dark time in my life. It was tough, all right? So I'm up there with my family. I want to be back, of course, near Disneyland. But I remember this, this one day we took a trip to San Francisco, and we went to the Walt Disney Museum that they have there. If you're ever in the area, check it out. It's really, really cool. They have a ton of different stuff from his life. So I remember I, I rounded the corner into this one room, and as I walk in, I go, <gasps> whoa. Because there before me was a miniature scale replica of Disneyland. In fact, I have a picture of it up here. It's it's literally as if they took Disneyland and shrunk it down and put it in a room about the size of our lobby. And I'm not kidding when I say I probably spent like 30 minutes to an hour in that room. Like the attention to detail, it it was amazing. And what I noticed is, as I stood there and looked at this little miniature version of the Magic Kingdom, I found my heart longing for the real thing. As I saw this little mini Disneyland, I'm like, man, I want to experience Disneyland in all its fullness. And so as soon as I get back to Long Beach, I'm buying a ticket, I'm buying a season pass, like I got to get back to Disneyland. A little miniature version made me long for the kingdom in all its fullness. And we've been in a series on the missional identity of God's people, and hopefully a message that you've heard over and over and over again, hopefully you're starting to get sick of it, is that the way we live our lives is supposed to sort of do the same thing as that little miniature kingdom. That the way we live our lives as followers of Jesus points to and should make people long for God's coming kingdom. I know the language that Daniel Long has used is we're like a movie trailer for the kingdom. You know, in our lives, you see little snippets of of what's coming, and it should make somebody say, I want to see the full movie. Or Wells used the language, we're the pink spoon people. When you go to Baskin Robbins, you get that little sample on a pink spoon, you try it, and you say, give me three more scoops of it. We're supposed to be that for the kingdom. So I'll add my own to that today. We are supposed to be a little miniature version of the kingdom. And when people see us, they say, oh man.
I want to experience that in all its fullness. Sell me a ticket, sell me a lifelong pass. And so today, all we're going to do is just think about, well, what does it look like to be a little miniature version of the coming kingdom? And so to do that, we're going to be in the book of Revelation. You heard the passages read today. Uh, Revelation's the last book in the Bible. It's a wild book, if you haven't read it. And it tells the story of what's coming next for the world. Uh, The apostle John receives a vision from God himself of the future. In that future, we see Jesus defeat Satan and sin and death, and we also get a glimpse of what it looks like when God's kingdom comes in all its fullness. And so today, we're going to look at three little glimpses from the book, and we're going to see, well, what's coming? What will the kingdom look like? And then we'll think, how can we just be a little miniature version of that today? Sound good? Awesome. Awesome. All right, so we're going to start today in Revelation chapter 7. And the first thing that we're going to see as we look towards what's coming is that there is glory in diversity. Glory in diversity. So we're going to be in Revelation 7, verse 9. So John is mid-vision, and what he's just seen leading up to this is Israel has returned and started worshiping Jesus as Lord. He sees a large number of Jewish people worshiping Jesus together in heaven. And then he sees this, verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, that's Jesus clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So John looks and he sees a number of people that he can't even discern. There's so many people there. And the language that he uses of every nation, tribes, people, language. That's John's way of saying everybody's here. Every single type of person is represented together in this moment. And one of the the cool things I think that's that's worth pointing out here, because we might miss it, is cultural distinctions are not eliminated in heaven. We don't quite understand how John is able to perceive that everybody's here, but in one way or another, as he looks at this crowd, he's able to see, okay, this group of people's here. People from this nation are here. People who speak this language are here. It's not like when we get to heaven or the kingdom, we all just kind of become this like amorphous blob of people, but he's still able to see, no, there's different nations here. There are still cultural distinctives maintained in heaven. And John doesn't come right out and say this, but I think what he's sort of implying here is that God's glory is precisely being put on display through the diversity of the crowd that's worshiping him. The thing in this moment that shows Jesus is so worth being praised is that there's not just one type of person praising him. I wasn't going to use this illustration, but 
I will. I'm one of those sad people who's an Angels fan. Um, <laughs> anybody else? <laughs> Just me? Cool, cool. Uh, you do not find Angel fans outside of Southern California. You don't even find Angel fans really in Southern California, right? <laughs> but, a lot of you are going to hate me for this. No matter where you go, no matter what city, what state, probably what country you go in, you will find Yankees fans. You delete this from the sermon later. But one of the things that shows that the Yankees are a much more superior team to the Angels is that they're not tied to a specific geography. Yankees fans aren't tied to some specific culture or subculture. Everywhere you go, you can find Yankee fans. And in the same way in this moment, everybody is together worshiping Jesus. It's not people that come from a specific area. It's not like somebody had to speak a specific language. It's not like you had to have the right cultural assumptions to be able to praise Jesus. No, no. Everybody in this moment is praising him. God's glory is emphasized by the diversity of the crowd that's worshiping him. Again, the thing that shows Jesus is so worth being praised is that there's not just one type of person praising him. And that's what we will see in the kingdom. I remember uh, recently I got a taste of this in my own life. It was awesome. So some of you know my dad's a pastor. And so back in May, I got to go preach at his church. Um, it's a church I went to from like seventh grade to like graduated. And uh, cool fact about, so the city's Watsonville. So Watsonville originally was a very white city, but over the century, centuries, over the decades, um, has become predominantly Hispanic. It's actually, think about 75% Hispanic. And if you were to go to Watsonville, what you would find is Spanish is spoken just as much, if not more, than English. And over time, the makeup of the church has started to reflect that. And so anyway, so I'm getting ready to preach, and, but we're doing the worship, and the, the words come on the screen. And you know when you're like, I know that song, I can close my eyes, like, feels good. So I'm standing there, I'm singing Amazing Grace, or whatever it is. All of a sudden, I was like, oh my goodness, something medically has gone wrong in my brain because I could not understand the words being sung around me anymore. It, it, honestly, like, it freaked me out for a second. And I open my eyes and I look up at the screen and I realize, oh, well, it's because they're not singing in English anymore. They're singing in Spanish. And so I just kind of sat back for a moment. I watched and I realized, oh, they sing half of every song in Spanish. A verse in English, a verse in Spanish, and so on and so forth for the whole song. And I'll be honest in saying for a moment, it actually kind of took me out of it. Because I'm one of those unfortunate uh, monolinguists. I need things to be in English for me to understand it. And so for a, a moment, I'm like, wow, I mean, this is hard. Because some people are singing in English still, some people are singing in Spanish, and... I can hardly sing as it is, and so I'm just trying to, to keep up, and it, it took me out of it. I was uncomfortable for a second. But as I watched what was unfolding before me, what I realized is, no, this is actually one of the most beautiful worship sets I have ever been a part of. 
Because in this moment, through the way we're worshiping, what's being declared is that English alone is not sufficient to praise Jesus. Spanish alone is not sufficient to praise Jesus. But as these two languages together under one roof sing his praise, we are one language closer to the kingdom. It was awesome. It was beautiful. So Grace, I wonder, well, if we know one day the kingdom in all its fullness will look like every tongue, tribe, nation, people group declaring the praise of Jesus, if God's glory will be put on display through the diversity of the crowd worshiping him, how do we be a little miniature version of that today? How do we do that when we gather? I mean, is it like, well, I guess let's start singing half our songs in Spanish? Well, it makes sense for my dad's church, because some people there only speak English, some only speak Spanish, but they want to worship together under one roof. So yeah, that's what it looks like for them. It would be awesome if one day that's what it looks like for us. I think that should be a prayer for our church. But in the meantime, as we get to that, maybe it just starts with, well, what's our heart posture? Are we more about kingdom or comfort? I don't know about you, but I often come here on a Sunday morning kind of just wanting to be comfortable. And this isn't a pretty truth, but it is true. It's easy, it's comfortable to worship alongside people who are like you. And I don't necessarily mean that like ethnically, although that can be a part of it for sure, but just in general, it's easiest to be around people who think like you, who talk like you, who dress like you, who are in the same general life stage as you. Birds of a feather flock together, right? It's easy to come in here and say, well, I want to worship alongside people who like the same songs that I do. I want to worship alongside people who we all agree that worship needs to be at this specific volume. I want to worship alongside people who all agree what we're supposed to dress like on a Sunday morning. I want to worship alongside people who voted for the same person that I did. I want, I want, I want. But guys, when we're here, we don't come here to be comfortable. We come here to display what the coming kingdom is like. And the more different we all look, the more we display the glory of the God that we worship. This is not about comfort, guys. This is about kingdom. Jesus is Lord over those who wear slacks. And Jesus is Lord over those who wear skinny jeans. Jesus is those who wear a tie, and those who don't know how to tie a tie. Jesus is Lord over those who'd rather sing Hillsong every week. And Jesus is Lord over you who would rather sing hymns every week. Jesus is Lord over those who voted for Trump. He's Lord over those who voted for Biden. Jesus is Lord over all. Let's display that as we gather. God's glory is shown through the diversity of the people who worship him. So let's have our hearts in the place where that's what we want to display. It's not about being comfortable, it's about kingdom.
God's glory is shown through diversity. All right, let's move on. The next thing that we see is mercy in misery. Mercy in misery. Flip to Revelation 21. This is near the end of the book. Sorry for the spoiler, but Jesus comes. He defeats Satan and sin and death. And this is the vision that John gets. This is one of the most quoted passages in the Bible. I think you'll see why. 21 verse 3. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Pain, crying, mourning, death. These are the things that plague our existence. These are the things that are so woven into life, honestly, it's hard to even imagine a world where they don't exist. But that's exactly the promise that God makes to us. That when the kingdom comes in all its fullness, we will refer to those things as the former things. I remember when we used to have pain. I remember when we used to die. But that's the former things. I mean, can you just imagine a world where you don't wake up in the morning and go, oh, I slept on my pillow wrong. I can, every day. Can you imagine a world where you don't go to a doctor's office with just that little bit of fear that you're going to find out some news that will change everything? Can you imagine never having to go to a doctor's office again? Can you imagine a world where there are no more funerals? Can you imagine a world where death is no longer on the horizon? That's the world our God promises to us. I love how tender it is, too. It says, God himself, uh, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I'm not a father, but I know enough fathers to see that moment where their kid is crying and they bend down and they wipe the tear from their cheek. Everything's going to be That's the vision God gives us of his relationship with us in eternity. He will bend down and wipe every tear from our eyes. That's the kingdom. So my question is, well, how do we be a little miniature version of that today? Like, well, just stop getting sick. Stop dying. Try that. It doesn't work. What do we do now? Well, I think history actually provides us a really interesting example of this. Um, Quick fact is that as as Christianity was started, it started and spread very quickly in cities. 
But cities at this point in history were extremely, extremely unsanitary. And I will not give you the details. You can go look that up if you want. But extreme population density and just horrible hygiene. And so when plagues would break out, it was terrible. I mean, like actually the reports would be like a quarter to a third of the city could die. That bad. And so at that time, what would happen is if there was a plague, you would get out of the city. In fact, there's a famous report of <laughs> the famed physician leaving the city when people got sick. Because he's like, well, I'm not going to get sick. If I get sick, I'm going to die. People would actually take the sick in their homes and leave them on the street to die. Because they didn't want to get sick. They knew if I get sick, it's over. But you know who didn't leave the city? It was Christians. Christians stayed. Christians actually took in those who had been left to die. I was reading a sociologist as he wrote about this, and he said uh, it's actually thought that Christians had a... Um, a better just in general life and health than the common person in the city because they took care of one another. Because where they found misery, they brought mercy. Listen to this quote. It's from a book called The Triumph of Christianity. It says, Indeed, the impact of Christian mercy was so evident that in the 4th century, when the Emperor Julian attempted to restore paganism, he exhorted the pagan priesthood to compete with the Christian charities. In a letter to the pagan high priests of Galatia, Julian urged the distribution of grain and wine to the poor, noting that the impious Galileans, Christians, in addition to their own, support ours. And it's shameful that our poor should be wanting our aid. He's like, look, I'm trying to move Christianity out of this kingdom. I'm trying to make things the way I want it to be. But they just take such good care of people, we can't do it. So get to work, people. Christians brought so much mercy into misery that their little kingdom became more powerful than the emperor's kingdom. Rather than running away from things like pain, sickness, death, they ran right into it. Because they knew that there would come a day where God would triumph over these things. And so they didn't need to live their life in fear. But so again, I wonder, well, what does that look like now? How do we be the miniature version of that here? Like, do we just go and, like, live in hospitals 24-7 because that's where people are sick and dying? Probably not. And we have some nurses here, so for you, like, yes, maybe. But for most of us, no, probably not. But on the smallest scale, I think it's just asking the question, who's hurting? Who in your life is hurting? Who is in pain? Who's experiencing misery? Who's dying? Because wherever that's going on, that's exactly where you should find a follower of Jesus.
as we look forward to the day where God himself will get down and wipe every tear from our face, we reflect that by doing that now. We bring mercy into misery. And so I ask you, who's hurting? Bring mercy into misery. All right, one more glimpse of the coming kingdom. And it's still in Revelation 21. So John now is coming towards the end of his vision. And one of the things he sees is that a new city, it's a really beautiful passage if you read it, a new city comes down to earth. And this is the city where God dwells with his people. It's called New Jerusalem. So if you think back to the Old Testament, the city where God's presence physically resided was Jerusalem. And now in the new heavens and new earth, there is a new Jerusalem where all God's people from every country come together to praise him. And John notices some interesting things about this new city. Chapter 21, verse 22. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb, Jesus. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. So, John sees this city, and it is a city literally filled with the light that comes from God's presence. Think back to the transfiguration. Some of the disciples got to witness Jesus for a moment in his glory. And it looks something like when the light comes through that stained glass on a Sunday morning. It's light. And so on, John sees this light kind of on two different levels. He sees it on one way on the physical level. That literally, the presence of God is the light source of this city. There's no sun or moon. So there's no light bulbs. There's no electricity bills. There's no PG&E. Amen? No more overdue bills. That's great. God himself is the light source of this city. But light means more than just the physical sense of light. Light is also how the Bible talks about enlightenment or illumination, guidance, direction, right? Think of the psalm, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Think back to the start of this sermon series. We talked about how Israel was called to be a light to the nations. They were to be a beacon amidst darkness that, that other nations would look at and say, yes, that's it. That's where we're supposed to be going. I get it now. And so here in Revelation, that's happened. God himself is the light source of this city, and every person, every nation on earth says, yes, that's it. That's the direction. Every person lives in light of God's presence with humanity. It informs how we live. And man, is that a compelling vision. Because it's 2022, and it's really clear the world does not know how to live. Just scroll through the news for two minutes, 
Nations, including ours, do not live in light of God's presence. But there will come a day where the whole world will be oriented around the fact that God is there. And it will inform how we live. That's what we see in the kingdom. The question is, you know where this is going. That's Disneyland, right? That's the kingdom in its fullness. How do we be the little miniature version of that now? Well, Jesus answers this for us. I love it when he does that. When he's talking to his followers, you might remember this. Start of his ministry, Matthew chapter 5. He paints a picture of how he wants them to think of themselves. And the language he uses is, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill is not easily hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. In the coming kingdom, God's light fills everything. But the picture I have is that right now it goes, there's darkness all around. In the middle of the darkness, there's a little flickering candle, and that's you. You are the light of the world. I remember uh, Ryan and I were driving home from Tahoe, and our path got redirected because there was a fire in Lancaster. Which those of you who live in Lancaster say, it's like hell anyway. So it's kind of funny that there was a fire there. I'm so bad at geography, I like tried to retrace our path. I have no clue how this worked out. Just, just take my word for it, just go with me here. We got directed on some like backcountry, unpaved, winding road through like the mountains or hills behind LA. It was dark. There were no street lights. I don't think there was even a moon out that night. It's one of those nights where it feels like your high beams get swallowed up by the shadows right in front of your car. It was dark. And at first, we were just kind of like uneasy, like, oh, wow, it's a bummer we got taken this way. But, you know, it'll be over soon. It was creepy. There was like one radio station from this friend, and it was playing like distorted 1950s music that was all staticky. <laughs> we were like, we're going to die. So we turned that off. <laughs> It was weird. Kind of embarrassing to say it, but after a while we were scared. As this went on for 20, 30 minutes, we actually started to get pretty scared. The road just kept winding. And I remember driving and thinking, man, I just want to see light. Literally, just give me a glimpse of light on the horizon. Because as soon as I see it, I'll have peace, comfort, safety. That sense of, yes, yes, that's where we're going. We're going to be okay now. And the road just kept winding. And then I remember we, we came on this one curve. And as we curved around the mountain, there it was in front of us. The lights of Los Angeles. Both of us just, oh, thank goodness. Because the second I saw that light, I had peace.
peace, I had safety, I had comfort, I had that sense of, yes, that's where we're going. We're not hopelessly lost. There is still something right in this world. Jesus says that's what you are. You are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill. You are the lights of L.A., show up and shine bright after a dark, winding road. So what does that look like for us? Well, I'm still figuring it out. I don't know about you. But Jesus has some thoughts. Again, Matthew 5, he says, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good, good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. To quote um, just one of the classic hymns of our time, you guys can finish it for me. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, right? Sometimes we need a kid song to remind us of what's true of us. Jesus says, shine. In fact, if I could paraphrase it, Jesus says, go do stuff. Do stuff that puts your God on display. Do stuff that when people see you, they say, who is the God that you worship? Because I want to worship him too. And this can look like big ways, like A, B, C, D. That's a big way to be a light. A whole church working together to partner with and love a neighborhood in the name of Jesus. That's a big way. For a long time, this church has had a history of um, leaning into fostering. Some of you here are foster families. That's a big way. Some of you use your vacations to go overseas to share Jesus with people who haven't heard of him yet. That's a big way. We can be lights in small ways too. Maybe it's someone you know at work who's going through financial difficulty. and You say, hey, your groceries are on me this week. My God's generous. I want to be generous to you too. Maybe it means once a month serving at the rescue mission, the Lydia house. Maybe it means finding that old person on your street who's a shut-in and just making sure that once a week they have some meaningful human interaction. Whether it's the lights of L.A. or just that single little flame, that candle during a power outage. In big ways and small ways, that light. One day we look forward to the day where God's light will fill all. But right now, that's us. Be light in the darkness. Glory in diversity, mercy in misery, light in darkness. These are the things that we see at Disneyland, that we see in the kingdom when it comes in all its fullness. And we're a little miniature version of that. So let's be that little mini kingdom. The band could head on up. Um, I'm going to pray that we could be exactly that. And at the end of my prayer, I know we've been trying to just make space in services lately to actually hear from God. Seems right. And so, um, Brandon, you can just leave maybe 20 seconds after I finish praying. 
Just open yourself up to God and ask, God, how would you have me live this out? Who knows what he'll bring to mind? Pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you so much that your kingdom will come. Yeah, we mourn, we grieve, we hurt. And because of that, we long for the day where you will come and make all things right. And Lord, I just ask that you, through your spirit, would empower us to be that little example of what is right of what the world will look like when your kingdom comes in its fullness. God, give us a vision for that. Give us a passion for it. Help us to live it out. Show us what you want us to do.